Coming up on Philosophy Talk. You know, it's just occurred to me we really haven't had a completely successful test of this equipment. I blame myself. So do I. Freedom, blame, and resentment. If it turned out that there was no such thing as free will, would it ever be appropriate to blame someone for their actions? Jan, if boys don't find you attractive, don't blame it on me. Does a good explanation of somebody's action make it wrong to resent them? I can't believe you put it off until today, and then we couldn't do anything because Elaine runs out to apologize to a virgin, crosses against the light, knocks over Chinese delivery boy. Are we genetically programmed to react emotionally to perceived injuries? Now, at the risk of being unpopular, this reporter places the blame for all of this squarely on you. Can we ever let go of blame and resentment? My name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. Our guest is Pamela Hieronymi from UCLA. Freedom, blame, and resentment, coming up on Philosophy Talk. Welcome to Philosophy Talk, the program that questions everything. Except your intelligence. I'm John Perry. And I'm Ken Taylor. We're coming to you from the studios of KALW San Francisco. We're continuing conversations that start at Philosopher's Corner on the Stanford campus. That's where Ken and I teach philosophy. Today our topic is a threesome, freedom, blame, and resentment. Let me start in the middle of this threesome, Ken, with blame. We blame people when they do bad things. Blame often leads to and is accompanied by the third thing in our list, resentment especially when we're directly and personally harmed by another person. Yeah, right. Some reckless jerk is darting in and out of traffic. He cuts me off, causing me my car to spin out of control. Now, we all blame him. We kind of blame him collectively for being reckless. But more than that, as the directly harmed party, I personally feel an intense and visceral sense of a resentment toward him that others may not feel. Now, we blame people and resent people for things they're responsible for. They make a decision and we think their decision is wrong. When they decide we say they're free, that brings up the third term in our triumvirate that we're talking about. So by looking at when we blame people and when we resent people, uh, we can see when we think they're free and when they th when we think they're not free. Yeah, except you got to be careful, John, because there are two different senses of blame. There's a non-moral sense and a moral sense. In the moral sense, to say that one thing is to blame for another is really just to say that one thing caused the other. That applies to even inanimate things. People talk about the rise in obesity causing the increase in diabetes. Oh, I might blame my dog for knocking over the flower pot, but she's not morally responsible. Well, I think you're right, Ken. Non-moral blame has nothing or almost nothing to do with freedom or with resentment. You may be upset at your dog for knocking over the flower pot, but probably you don't resent her. So moral blame and personal resentment are reserved for special kinds of actions performed by special kinds of creatures, creatures like us and creatures unlike the dog. Let's compare the dog that knocked over the flower pot to the jerk behind the wheel that cut you off and caused you to spin out. If we can isolate the differences, we can understand resentment, why it's appropriate in the one case, but not the other. Oh, that's easy. I learned this at Notre Dame, John. It's the difference between metaphysically free action and causal determined action. The jerk did what he did freely. That is, he wasn't causally determined to do what he did, and that means he could have acted otherwise, and that's why it's all right to hold him responsible. That's why I resent him, too. Now, the dog, on the other hand, the dog didn't choose. The dog can't choose. She just acts, and the way she acts is strictly determined by her doggy nature, and that's why I don't hold her morally responsible and don't resent her. Ken, you've done awfully well in, in philosophy in spite of having your natural instincts and mastery of our concepts screwed up by Notre Dame. 
I mean, that's way too metaphysical. Blame and resentment have nothing to do with metaphysics. It's about respect and disrespect. Take the jerk. He presumably saw the space between you and the next car, considered the costs and benefits of cutting you off versus slowing down, and in full knowledge of that fact, and as a result of his deliberation, still cut you off. Your rights and your well-being didn't count appropriately in his calculations. That's why you resent him. So you know, you saying the jerk's disrespect for me is, is was his not giving my my uh, my rights and well-being due respect, as it were, in his reasoning. And then you're saying I resent him basically basically because I'm offended by the attitude toward me his actions uh, express. Is that is that it? Exactly, and, and that's the dimension in which the jerk differs from the dog, not some metaphysical mumbo-jumbo. The dog expresses no will towards you at all, neither goodwill nor ill will. Your dog, intelligent as she must be for a dog, probably lacks the capacity to think much at all about your rights and your well-being. In knocking over the flower parts, she's not expressing a lack of a concern for you. She's just being her rambunctious doggy self. No point in your resenting her for that. Okay, but how does that show that the questions they taught me to think about at Notre Dame, metaphysical questions about freedom and determinism, are irrelevant to issues about blame and resentment? I don't get that yet, John. Well, think about what would excuse a reckless driver and put off your resentment. It's, it's not just that it would be caused, it would be how it was caused. It has nothing to do with determinism or causation. Suppose he didn't see you and that he cut you off accidentally, or that he was really trying to get out of the way of a fast-approaching emergency vehicle cutting in front of you, and that was the only way he could do that. Well, well, you know, I, I think I'd still be upset, but I can see your point. That might, you know, that might tamp down my resentment a bit. You wouldn't resent him because a bad or a lack of a, a good attitude towards you wouldn't be part of the causal history of the action. What really matters for blame and resentment is the kind of attitude that leads to the act, the character of the will that's expressed in the other person's actions towards you, whether the action was causally determined or whatever metaphysically free might mean, is irrelevant. Well, you know, I'm not totally convinced, John. But you know what? I grant you there are lots of issues here. Like one is, what exactly are resentment and blame anyway? And what exactly are we responding to in another person when we either resent them or blame them or both? Is there more to say about the difference between creatures like us who are sometimes appropriate objects of resentment and creatures like my dog who are never appropriate objects of resentment? And what about excuses? Is to explain an action automatically to excuse it? Good questions all, John. And our search for some answers? Well, that begins with our roving philosophical reporter, Caitlin Ash. We sent her out to investigate a case of resentment gone wild. She files this report. If you're looking for people harboring grudges, petty resentments, hurt feelings, and broken hearts, you might find them at a high school. You just see like a really, like, really childish arguments, like, like, oh, she stepped on my shoe. Now we're beefing for the rest of the year because this one person stepped on my shoe. I've been backstabbed a lot of times, so that's why, you know, I have a small circle of people. Some girl thought I liked her guy, and then you know how high school drama gets, and then I was just like, it's not even like that, and she totally hated me. She still hates me, I think, now. If you've ever been wronged, you know how hard it can be to forgive. Actually, you, you kind of feel like you want to punish them and make them feel what they make you feel. Rick asked to go by his first name only because of the sensitive nature of his story. It's not enough to tell them that you feel bad. It's not enough. You've got to make them feel what you felt. 
Rick's tale of resentment and revenge took place back in the 70s at a small fine arts college where he dated a girl he calls Katie. He jumped into the relationship against his better judgment. I thought, you know, this girl's trouble, but she's a lot of fun. And I think perhaps she probably chose me more than I chose her. Things were going pretty well for a while. Then Rick left college early to start a job. The couple decided they'd stay together, but since it was the 70s, they decided to give each other certain freedoms. I told her, I said, now that I, I know that I've been your first conjugal boyfriend, and I know that this is probably a very interesting time for you, and I don't blame you for being interested in what else is out there. So I, I beg you only this, just you can have sex with anybody you want, just don't make it one of my friends. Two weeks later, Rick's phone rang. It was Katie calling to tell him she'd hooked up with Rick's good friend, Danny. And I was like, oh God, really? I, I knew this had happened and I guess I can't do anything about it. So, all right, so there you go. And uh, we'll talk later. And hung up and immediately thought, I'm gonna do something about this. Right then, Rick decided he would get his revenge. First order of business, make Katie suffer. I hunted down her childhood best friend and seduced her. Then Rick began the second part of his revenge fantasy, this time targeting Danny. Danny had a girlfriend, and I planned for a year to sleep with Danny's girlfriend. First, Rick became friends with Danny's girlfriend's best friend, and he seduced her. Eventually, he became close with Danny's girlfriend. So close, his revenge was almost complete. Something happened. You know, I guess it, you'd, you'd say, like, you know, my better angels came about. And I said, what am I doing? What am I doing? I've worked for a year to do this, and I'm here. And it's just not, it's not me. So Rick said, I'm sorry, you're a great gal, but I'm not a great guy. And he left. Why am I doing what I'm doing? Kept going through my head. And I don't know my own limitations. I'm suddenly doing things that I never thought I would do. After walking away from his best friend's girlfriend, Rick says he was confused for a few weeks. He didn't feel quite ready to forgive, but he no longer felt the need for revenge. He decided to confront Danny. Rick sat his friend down and told him everything. How over a year ago, he had slept with my girlfriend and I knew it and there was nothing I could do about it, but that I had systematically gone about seducing his girlfriend. And I got her in bed and I said no because I didn't want to be you. And he like burst into tears. Rick says he learned a lot from the experience. He learned to be guarded with his emotions and he learned he can be a selfish, vengeful person. People are capable of anything. Don't ever say you won't do something because you will do something like this. For Philosophy Talk, I'm Caitlin Esch. You can listen to the rest of this episode by purchasing it on iTunes Music or for unlimited listening, subscribe to our archive at philosophytalk.org.